You're listening to Stever Robbins of the Business Explained podcast. You can find Stever at steverrobbins.com and Billy Murphy of the Forever Jobless podcast and website. You can find Billy at foreverjobless.com. Today, we're going to be discussing expected value and how to use it in making decisions. I read an article by Billy recently. It is called Positive Expected Value, Millionaire's Math, and it presents an approach to decision-making which is somewhat different from anything that I have used throughout most of my career, and I had the rather sobering experience of, after reading the article, applying the concepts in it to several of the major decisions of my life, remembering what I had known at the time and thinking about about what I would have done differently had I known this material. And I realized that had I known Billy's material 20 years ago, I would be talking to you right now from my own private island somewhere in the Caribbean. So, without further ado, I would like to welcome Billy Murphy. Thank you for joining me, Billy. Thanks a lot for having me on. So, tell us, what is Millionaire's Math? So, Millionaire's Math, uh, as you mentioned, was a post I wrote a while ago, and I, I, I felt like decisions most people were making were not geared towards the best result for themselves. And most people make decisions based on emotion instead of logic. And so... What I mean by that is, uh, you know, when someone makes a decision, their whole goal is to avoid risk. You know, they fear loss, and basically, making all your decisions to avoid potential loss uh, usually leads people to the worst decision because often the best decisions may not necessarily have the highest percent chance of happening every time, but the highest return decisions sometimes seem like it might be risky. Um, but it's actually riskier not to take those chances. Now, before we get into the details, uh, how do you know about how to think about risk? You have an unusual background for somebody who I would be talking to about business matters. Sure. So I guess my, I guess most of my uh, practice came in being a professional poker player. So I was a professional poker player for about four years. Um, I played poker even before that, just on the side for income. So um, every decision in poker is based on you know, math. And I don't want to say your whole strategy is based on math, but every decision you make, there's a, there's a expected value from that decision. So you get very used to thinking in terms of logic instead of emotion. So, you know, I don't care what happens from hand to hand. All I care about is that I made the correct decision. Um, and the way like an amateur poker player would, would make a decision would be, I just don't want to lose my money this hand, um, which is wrong. And that's how And I realized when you get outside of poker and look at real life, uh, most most people make decisions the same exact way as amateur poker players, as you know, amateur entrepreneurs and you know, aspiring entre- entrepreneurs. They make decisions based on I don't want to lose my money, and because they're thinking emotionally instead of logically, um, they're actually costing themselves a lot of money. Let's start with a specific example. First of all, can you explain what expected value is? What is that? Sure. I guess the easiest way might might be with an example. Um, if you and I were to flip a coin, and each of us put a dollar in. So the winner would get $2. There's you know, a neutral expected value. Neither of us is going to make money in the long term off of that because we each put the same amount of money in and it's the same percentage chance that each of us will win. So there's a 50% chance that it'll be heads, 50% tails. So neither of us really has an edge on the other one. Um, so that's a neutral EV decision. So you know, basically that's an easy way to to look at a decision and know, okay, I'm not going to make money on that decision. Um, in every decision in life, there's going to be a decision like that, whether it's you know plus EV or negative EV. You can either 
you know, be positive on your uh, expected outcome or negative. Well, so let's, because 50% is a, that makes this all come out even. Let's imagine that I have a coin that gives me a 70% chance of heads and a 30% chance of tails. Sure. And I'm given the opportunity to bet heads. How do I think about that? So if heads is 70%, then basically, you know, a lot of people would say, um, even though I have an edge, it's, it's risky, so I don't want to do that. Uh, but you're, you're guaranteed to make money. Um, so, you know, a lot of people look at it as like, what if I lose money this hand uh, or this, this flip of the coin? Um, you know, but you got to look at things in a long, t long term scenario. So if you were allowed to flip the coin, you know, a hundred times, you're going to make, you know, your expected value uh, plays out longer, better in the long run. In other words, you reach what the expected value is easier in a longer sample size. And so the expected value here would be 70% times whatever my bet is. Right, exactly. That leads to a slightly different way of asking the same question, which is let's say that I have a 70% a 70% heads coin. Um, do I just bet a dollar? What if I what I have what if I am allowed to bet any amount on that coin flip? How do I decide what amount to bet? So you'd obviously want to make a calculation of you don't want to lose all your money even though it's in your favor, you don't want to bet all your money on the first flip because then if you lost your money, you can't play anymore. So you want to have some sort of, in poker, we call it bankroll management. Um, you just want to have enough ammo to be able to play for, you know, do as many flips as possible so that you reach your expected expected outcome. So in other words, if you had, you know, let's say $10,000 you could do for this, you, you obviously wouldn't want to bet a dollar because then you wouldn't be making enough money. But you wouldn't want to bet, you know, a thousand dollars either because you know if you if you hit a bad run, then you're going to run out of money before you can reach your outcome. So you know, betting, you know, maybe betting a hundred dollars or, or a couple hundred dollars might be okay um, because you you basically want to make sure you make money on the deal. And some people would just stay away from that and say, oh, it's you know, it's risky. They can still win thirty percent of the time, but yeah, they can win thirty percent of the time on each flip, but. You know, if you're going to do hundreds or thousands of flips, um, you're going to make money. It's mathematically impossible not to. I understand how this applies if you're doing something like flipping a coin, where you do the same thing over and over and over and over. What if I'm looking at a decision that I'm only that any given decision I'm only going to do once? So, for example, I'm an author, and someone says I am a book reviewer for. XYZ famous magazine or famous newspaper, will you send me a review book to for me to evaluate and possibly write a review if I like it? Now, to me, sending out a review book, I have to buy books retail, and it's going to cost me $15 to send out that review book to that reviewer. How do I think about that decision since I'm only ever going to send it to the New York Times once? Right. The only thing you need to think about in that scenario is, one, um, your cost. So it's, in your case, $15. And then you have to look at what is the chance that they'll be that this reviewer will help me sell books, and then when they do, you know how much do I make on those books? So, for example, let's pretend you made three bucks a book. So, three bucks a book is your cut as the author. Then, do you think that that reviewer, you know, in in the long run, when I say the long run, I mean out of you know, it doesn't matter what happens this one time. Like on average, what do you think will happen? So, uh, they need to sell. Or, or, or have people buy at least five books for you to break even in that scenario. So if you thought, if you did some math and said, well, you know, they get this much traffic and, uh, you know, or I've talked to this other author and 
you know, who got a good review from them and they sold a bunch of books. Uh, and I estimate them to sell, you know, maybe, maybe that review can sell 10 of my books. Um, some people would look at it and say, I don't want to risk the 15 bucks. Um, cause you know, a lot of people are probably doing it for, you know, a hundred different reviewers if they're, if they're doing a review book. So, you know, somebody might say, I don't want to do it this $15 or this 1500, depending on how many people they're sending it to. And, um, but a lot of those people aren't running the math. So if on, on average you were going to get 10 sales per review, well, you're basically going to double your money. You're expecting 30 bucks back on, on that, on that review. But a lot of people don't do the math and they basically say, oh, I don't want to risk it. And so they just keep their money. But the thing is in keeping their money, they're basically also keeping themselves from keeping from uh, making a return. So the thing I need to do as the author, I need to come up with my theory about how many books I believe they can sell on average. Yes. So I need to say, you know what? I figure that the New York Times, now if I'm sending this to a bunch of reviewers, do I use the same number for each different reviewer? So do I think about this as I think any reviewer can sell 10 books on average, or do I do that books sold on average calculation separately for each reviewer, where I think New York Times can sell 10 books, Washington Post can sell 15 books, and uh, Joe's independent bookstore can sell one book? Yeah, I would do it individually, and you, you might not have to do it individually for every single one. So for example, like very small reviewers, you might you might have a certain calculation um, that you give to. So you might say, hey, those are those deals might be negative EV. So instead of going out and sending a thousand review books, maybe you just send it to the top, you know, 50 um, or however many there may be. I understand. Now, I know that one way of thinking about EV is as a probability times an expected outcome, which may sound scary to people listening who don't have a math background, but bear with us here. <laughs> uh, can you talk a little bit about about what the exact definition of EV is and just give a couple of examples, not necessarily decisions, just examples of here is a situation and here is what the EV is versus here's what the cost-benefit analysis of the same situation would be. Sure. So one, one example, uh, do, you want, do you want me to talk about the, the conference example? Oh, that's a great one. Okay, so, so one example in my own life, um, I think this happened about two years ago and it was actually funny enough, was on the same subject of uh, actually book writing. I've always debated writing a book, and there was a conference going on uh, that it was basically like a book writing, book publishing conference thrown by Tim Ferriss. And, you know, it was going to basically have all the major, you know, it had major agents there, had, you know, major authors there. Um, and basically it was the room to be in if you were ever thinking about writing a book. You know, the problem was I didn't even know if I was going to write a book. You know, I thought maybe you know, maybe there's a 50% chance I'll write a book, but, you know, this conference is going on now, so what do I do? Um, and the cost was $7,000, so it wasn't a cheap conference that I could just, you know, walk into, uh, you know, $7,000, so I really had to, you know, put out some money if I, if I wanted to do that. So I did the calculation, you know, there's 50% chance I was going to write a book, so I said I need to get at least $14,000 worth of value out of that, and the reason is, you got the 14,000 how? Because there was only 50% chance I was going to write a book. And so basically I doubled doubled the amount uh, of the conference because 50% of that time I wasn't going to go off and write a book. So basically I needed to get twice the value out of it uh, on my 7K. And so if you, if you had been thinking there's only a 30% chance I'll ever write a book, then you would have needed to feel like you got 21,000. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Yeah. And, and, and obviously this is super rough math because there's, a, there's other variables. So for example... You know, your network and all that stuff, and you can calculate how much that stuff is worth too. But uh, I just did very basic 
basic EV calculation on it and said, well, you know, roughly 50%, we won't count any of the other, any of the other variables. And uh, we'll just say I need $14,000 worth of value. And so then I did, at the time I was, I was thinking if I wrote a book, I may self-publish. So I did some, you know, based on my due diligence, I said, well, it looks like I could potentially get $7 a book if I decide to self-publish. So I took the $7 per, you know, per, per book and I said, well, you know, if I go to this conference, do I think meeting the people I'll meet and learning the things that I'll learn, will I sell at least 2,000 extra books than had I not gone to this conference? And how I came to that number was basically it's just the, the $14,000 um, divided by $7 a book. And so it's just, it would turn out to be 2,000 books. Um, and then, you know, for me, I decided, okay, this person's going, this person's going, um, it was basically all the who's who of, you know, authors and publishers. And so I said, I think I'll, I think I'll definitely get that value, um, and be able to sell an extra 2000 books if I go here. And so I just decided to go. And that was in 2000, actually that was in 2011. I still haven't wrote a book, but I'm still, you know, I'm not, I'm not upset at the decision because it was still the correct decision to make. Now, tell me a little bit more about that, because you said that the important thing is not to look at the actual outcome, but to look at the decision-making process. And I know that it's always seemed paradoxical to me that if you spent the money, you spent 7K on this conference, and you decided not to write the book, then why, why should I not just think of that as wasted money? Right. And, and most people would. They would look back and say, oh, I knew I shouldn't have gone there. I knew I shouldn't have gone there. Uh, and that's what most people think. But however, so let's pretend I did write the book. Um, you know, I would be looking at it and saying, yeah, definitely, you know, ideally I'd be looking at it and saying, I, wow, yeah, I'm glad I went to that conference because I sold, you know, thousands of extra books. Um, because of the fact I, ha I haven't wrote one, uh, you know, someone could say, yeah, you, you basically just wasted seven grand. Um, but it's not the case. So basically that was one decision in my life. So that was, you know, a two to three day conference that, you know, I spent the money on went to, but the thing is there's decisions like that that come up every single day. And most people don't even realize these, these decisions. And part of the reason they don't realize them is they're instantly turning them down because they seem risky to them. So, however, when you think about, you know, you and I have talked about variance before. So variance is basically for, for easy way to ex explain it to people would be the ups and downs uh, of decisions. So in other words, you know, sometimes you lose money, sometimes you make money. So if you pictured a graph and you saw the ups and downs on someone's chart, you know, someone in a job, for example, is going to have a chart that's basically this straight line for the most part. And it's going to probably go slightly up, you know, as they progress in their career and they'll make, you know, start out making, you know, 30 or 40,000 and then slowly go up to 50, 60, 70. And, you know, their graph's going to go slightly up and there's barely going to be any bumps unless they get fired or, or majorly promoted. Um, that's how most people's graphs will look and they won't make many other decisions other than that. Um, you know, they make, may take some money from their job and put it in the stock market or real estate, but they won't have, you know, a high variance graph, many ups and downs. My graph will be much higher variance. However, it'll also go up substantially faster because every, e, you know, plus EV decision that I see, I'm often taking. So in other words, it's just decisions like that, you know, my graph, it may show a drop of you know, $7,000. But the thing is, and so someone would say, wow, that, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Well, yeah, but what about these other, you know, 37 decisions I made the, the six months before that, you know, a lot of those turned out pretty well. And then, you know, so my graph is going up and down, up and down, up and down a lot, but it's also rising substantially faster than the person who's never making these plus EV decisions.
That's interesting. When I was in business school, one of the questions that one of my favorite professors asked us, he said, are you taking enough risk in your life? And when he asked it like that, I thought about it and I thought, I get the gut sense that I'm not taking enough risk in my life, but I would be very hard pressed to be able to determine on a day-to-day -day basis what it means to take enough risk. And it sounds like this is a really nice way of defining it, which is that you're taking enough risk if you are making a series of consistently positive EV decisions. And what you're looking at is, am I making consistently positive EV decisions, not how is each individual decision turning out? Right, exactly. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and a, a great example of it, and this is just another random example. Uh, you know, I, I had hired... I had hired someone to, to help get exposure for, um, for Forever Jobless. And, you know, with us doing this interview right now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know you right now if I hadn't hired that person. And, you know, so a lot of the, uh, you know, people could say, oh, you, you, you spent this money on this, uh, on an employee to, to help get you, you know, uh, potential interview spots and exposure for the show. But what if it doesn't work out? What if you just spent a bunch of money on, on an employee and it, you didn't get a return? And well, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a discussion of you know, what happens when it works out, right? It's, it's, uh, you know, there's, that's like an everyday decision that other people would never, would never do because it's, you know, quote unquote risky. But, um, you know, it's another example of just an everyday normal decision for me that said, you know, run some quick math and you could say, yeah, I think this makes sense to do. Um, and, you know, other people will never see those decisions. They'll just see, the end results of decisions, and then they'll then they'll emotionally react to them because they didn't see the thought process that went into them. Now, everything we've talked about so far, it's really been money that's been the bottom line. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking some of the decisions that people wrestle with are decisions like, should I quit my job and pursue my dream, mm -hmm. whatever that might be. How would you think about that decision using an EV mindset? Well, it, it, again, it's back to money um, for for the job versus you know, versus, I guess, leaving and, and pursuing their passion? Or do you want me to try and stay away from the money? Well, I'm just curious because this is a decision where there's more than just money involved. There's both money, but there's also some level of feeling fulfilled or unfulfilled or or the kind of intangible piece. And maybe sure. you can find a way to convert that into numbers somehow, but I, sure. I'd like to hear how you'd approach that. Sure. So I, I guess the normal way I'd approach it, and then I'll, I'll add on the kind of the life um, the non-money part, uh, the normal way I'd approach it would be if you have someone who's debating whether they should leave their job or not, a lot of times you're looking at it, it's, you know, if you're looking at the money perspective of it, it's, uh, okay, I have a job and I make 50000 a year, so clearly my expected value monetarily from this job is 50000 a year. So then they can look at, okay, you know, what else am I going to do? If their goal was to, let's say, you know, start a business or something, they can calculate out the percentage chance of success in the business and come to an expected value of, of what they'll make in the business. And, you know, how I would do that would, would be, uh, you know, calculating out based on due diligence, you know, what are the, what's the percent chance the business does really well and allocate amount of, uh, a percentage to that and the amount of money the business would make if that happened, uh, calculate out what's the chance it did kind of run of the mill, did okay, uh, allocate a percentage to that. And then what's the chance it totally failed allocated percentage to that and then I would calculate the three together and come to an expected value um, and then you'd have a side-by-side -side comparison saying okay my expected value monetarily for the job is 50,000 my expected value for the business is maybe you know 75,000 and then you'd have Apple to Apple to compare to um, if you also wanted to include you know let's forget about the money 
and just say, should I leave my job? I'm just not happy. You know, most people are in their job. They don't like their job. They're not happy. Um, should I leave my job? Well, you know, if you want to just totally exclude money from it, it's all you're saying is, you know, this is what I make in my job. This is the type of life that it affords me. And, you know, is it worth my time and my life to, to keep doing this? And a lot of times if people really sat down and thought about it and, and you know, I've never thought about this in expected value. Um, so I'll just do this on the spot, but the way I would think about it would be, you know, if someone has, let's say, you know, the same person makes, you know, makes X amount of money in a job and they're just saying, I just don't like my job. You know, why am I, why am I here other than the salary? Well, a lot of times if you basically looked at it and said, what if I left my job? You know, what am I giving up? Well, they're giving up a life they don't like. Um, and they're basically, you know, and funny enough, it would turn out a lot of the things that they use their, their salary for are, are basically, you know, around, you know, like car, uh, all these things getting to work. What if I just didn't need the, this job? Um, what would happen would be, and, and to use an example from Tim Ferriss's book, I think he explained this really well was, you know, a lot of people in a job are, they'd rate their life happiness at like a four, you know, or a five, or, or maybe, you know, I forget what he said in his book. Maybe it was like a six or a seven, but they're never very happy because they don't like, they don't like what they're doing. Now you could, you could view risk as what if I leave my job and just go do something else, you know, money aside, what if it's just whatever it is, what if I want to travel? What if I want to do this? Uh, basically you can look at it and say, there's a risk that it might not work out. So most people never, never do it. They stay in basically a comfortable, you know, not happy existence. They're kind of comfortable, but they're, they're clearly not happy. So they'll just stay where they are because they don't want to risk potentially going into a worse situation. People fear risk. So, you know, what happens is if they left the job and it worked out, they'd be at a permanent nine or 10 because they'd be doing what they love. They're happy, they're successful, whatever it may be. Um, but because they don't want to risk, you know, going to like a temporary four or five, if they left the job and it was very, very hard for themselves, they often just stay in the, in the position that they're in, which is often not one they want to be in. I want to return for a second to the, the financial calculation that you just gave. And I'm going to do this because I, I want to put some actual hard numbers so that people have a, an example of how to think about this where you said, let's say you're, gonna, you're miserable in your current job, so you believe there's a positive expected value on the emotional component of leaving your job and starting your own company. Now, in that scenario, I'm going to just use some numbers that I was jotting down on a piece of paper while you were talking. Let's say you then believe there is a 5% chance that your new company will make you a million dollars, a 15% chance that you believe your company will make you $100,000, a 30% chance that your company will make you $20,000 and a 55% chance that your company will, your new company will go bankrupt and will make you nothing. Now I look at that and I go, oi, gavalt, look at this. Here I am making 50K a year and between the $20,000 case and the 55 and the, and the $0 case, that's, that's 85% chance that I'm going to, I'm going to lose money. Oh my God, I'm going to run in the opposite direction as fast as I can. However, the expected value is I'm going to look at all four cases and then add them together. So the expected value is a 5% chance my new business will make a million dollars. And that's so that's 50,000, which is 5% times a million. A 15% chance the business will make $100,000. So that's $15,000, which is 15% times 100,000. A 30% chance that the business will make $20,000. So that's $6,000, 30% times 20,000. 
and then a 55% chance the business will make nothing, which is a zero. So I have 50,000, 15,000, 6,000, and zero. I add those up together, and the expected value is $71,000, which is more than the expected value of me staying at my job. So if I believe there's a 5% chance that my new business will make me a millionaire, and a 15% chance that it will make me a 100,000 air, then that's really enough to say go ahead and do it which I would never have suspected before doing this calculation out using the hard math. I would have said way too risky to leave my job for something that has a 65% chance of me, or an 85% chance of me ending up making less. Right. And, and another thing to add to that too is, you know, aside from the expected value being higher, there's actually um, another concept that's similar to millionaire's math that, uh, that I haven't talked about yet on my blog, but basically let's say, let's say a person has a goal. Let's say their whole goal, we'll just use your example, and let's say it's a million dollars. Their goal is to make a million dollars. Well, the way they would do it in their job would be save, you know, 10 grand a year and just wait forever, you know, retire when they, they, you know, have to be in a wheelchair basically is like, you know, they're going to be old. They can't use the money anyways. Um, that's the way most people think. I'm just going to save forever and just, it's just magically going to be $1 million someday. Um, the other ways to do it is basically take these chances so that um, you're giving yourself a shot to make a million dollars and it's plus EV each time so that, you know, by not taking these risks, you know, most people would look at it and say, oh, it's risky. I can't do that. I'm going to stay in my job. However, if you had a goal and you weren't taking these chances, you can look at it and say, it's way riskier not to take these risks because staying in that situation, you're guaranteeing yourself to fail at your goal. This reminds me, at my first job out of business school, I used to get the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes delivered to my desk at work. And I would always take the time to fill it out and send it in. And my co-project manager would come up to me and she would say, that's ridiculous. How could you be sending that in? And I said, well, I know for sure that I'm never ever going to make more than $85,000 a year here at this company, but there's at least a chance that I'll make a million dollars by sending in the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes. Now the actual probabilities there, because those probabilities are known very well since it's a lottery, the actual probabilities, the expected value of sending in the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes was in fact probably less than the cost of the stamp that I was using to send it. But it's the same, the same general idea that she was thinking in terms, she was thinking in terms of um, gee, that's just such a low probability event. She was not thinking in terms of staying at your job was a zero probability event for making a million dollars. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and I'm looking at our time and we probably should wrap up about now. But thank you very much for joining me. And I would love to have our listeners know where can they find out more about you? Where can they read your articles and your blog and your podcast and so on and so forth? Yeah, they can go to foreverjobless.com. Uh, and then my podcast is just the Forever Jobless uh, podcast. They can find it in iTunes um, or probably by the time this airs, probably in Stitcher and other places. But uh, foreverjobless.com is the blog. Excellent. Thank you very much, Billy. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. You've been listening to Stever Robbins and Billy Murphy. You can find Stever on the web at steverrobbins.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-R-R-O-B-B-I-N-S.com. And you can find Billy on the web at foreverjobless.com. Thanks for joining us.